Greetings, friends and neighbors, and welcome to Season 2 of the Community Solutions Podcast. Our podcast comes to you from the students, faculty, staff, and community partners associated with the Department of Social and Behavioral Sciences at the Indiana University Fairbanks School of Public Health in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm Jack Terman, Jr., a faculty member in the department and your host for this podcast. We realize it's been a while since our last podcast episode, and we appreciate your patience staying with us. I promise this season will be great. We are overwhelmed with gratitude by your commitment to listening to our podcast and sharing us with your family and friends. We are now being listened to in 36 states, three Canadian provinces, and a total of 21 nations. Together, as a Community Solutions podcast family of listeners, we are working together to build communities of compassion and trust and hope for all, all around the world. This season is entitled The Community Solutions Book Club. Our great students, faculty members, and staff will lead conversations about important books that lend insight into community development, health, and conversations. We kick off season two with our students Mackenzie and Kylie having a conversation about Peter Block's book, Community, The Structure of Belonging. Mackenzie and Kylie do a great job of sharing six key points that we need to remember as we work to foster inclusive, constructive conversations that optimize community well-being. Okay, let's join the conversation. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kinsey. Today we are going to dive into the concepts of community, conversation, and relationships. So Kenzie, let me ask you a few questions that I think I already know the answer to. Have you ever been out with friends and everyone is glued to their phones? Ugh, yes, literally all the time. Or how about at work, during a meeting, or when you're in class? Yeah, I'm in meetings all the time where people have their laptops open or their phones right next to them and you never really know if they're paying attention or just scrolling through Facebook and sending emails. It's really frustrating and distracting. But I'm definitely guilty of doing that as well. I figured that's what you might say. That's exactly what I've experienced as well. And you're not alone. I've absolutely been guilty of doing this. I've gone home after spending time with family or friends or walked out of a meeting or class and realized that I was just on autopilot. I wasn't paying attention or really digesting anything that was happening. Unfortunately, I think this has just been normalized, and because of that, I really don't think twice about it. But there's definitely a lack of connectedness in all these experiences we've talked about. So how do we change this? How do we create a new normal? With the help of Peter Block and his book, Community, The Structure of Belonging, we will walk through how to reframe these experiences, change the conversation, and foster connectedness and belonging. For those of you unfamiliar with Peter Block and his work, he is a citizen of Cincinnati, Ohio, and has authored several books about the power of community. 
Though all of Peter's books are great, today we'll just be focusing on community, the structure of belonging. There's so much great information and advice about how to bring community together through reframing conversations in this book. I hope we can do it justice today. Right off the bat, Peter sets the tone for his book, saying, the essential challenge is to transform the isolation and self-interest within our communities into connectedness and caring for the whole. The key, he states, is to identify how this transformation occurs. So with that goal in mind and keeping Peter and his book at the center of our conversation, we're gonna walk through how we can change the conversation in six steps. Peter stresses that in order to change the conversation, we must shake off our old habits of conversation, conversations that he calls just talk. Peter says just talk conversations can help us get connected or increase our understanding of who we are, but we endure them mostly out of habit for they are so ingrained in the social convention of our culture that if we didn't have them, we would miss them. They do not, however, contribute to transformation. I definitely understood this idea of just talk conversation. It's a trap I fall into all of the time, both professionally and personally. I have go-to questions, phrases, or topics of conversation. I think this is a huge trap to fall into when we feel like we need to act or speak a certain way. We put ourselves into a box of sorts. We force ourselves to stay in the lines and avoid certain topics or truly expressing our thoughts and opinions. I know what you mean. I do that too even though I know it's not really a meaningful conversation. It's just talk. But to move away from just talk, Peter invites us to engage instead in six conversations that allow us to dig deeper within ourselves in order con to connect with those around us. These conversations are invitation, possibility, ownership, dissent, commitment, and gifts. Breaking our old habits seems especially important right now. Regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum, your personal values, beliefs, etc., I think most would agree that our country and communities are experiencing a sense of brokenness and divisiveness. Peter points to a fear and fault as a major source of fragmentation in our communities. We've become a community of, community of problems to be solved. An action in our community is aimed at eliminating the sources of our fear. We only engage or take action when we are fearful, angry, or looking for someone to blame. And I don't think that our fear or our anger is necessarily invalid, but it does become dangerous and can quickly create divisiveness when it's our sole catalyst for conversation or engagement. It usually creates an us versus them scenario. This fear and fault-based community engagement will only further our disconnectedness. Peter explains that the effects of fragmentation in our communities can be seen in low voter turnout, the struggle to sustain volunteerism, and the large number of people that continue to remain disengaged. Before we can move into the six conversations, Peter states that we must shift our context of community, moving from a retributive community to a restorative one, and changing our language to reflect that shift, moving from problems to possibility, from fear and fault to gifts, generosity, and abundance, from law and oversight to social capital and chosen accountability, from the dominance of corporation and systems to the centrality of associational life, 
and from leaders to citizens. To begin restoring our communities and conversations and fostering true connectedness, we can turn to Peter's six conversations. Let's dive in. The first key conversation is called invitation. This conversation simply asks, who do we want in the room? And not with the intention of exclusivity, but rather with a truly hospitable invitation to have a seat at the table. We are inviting citizens to engage. Peter suggests that we especially want to focus on inviting people that not only have an interest in changing the future, but also people that are not used to being together. This is important for any conversation, but especially critical to our community conversations. There should be an intentional invitation extended to citizens that have been disenfranchised and have deep roots within our community, as they will have a unique perspective and insight that will benefit our community as a whole. You know, I think this is so important. How you invite someone can change how much they're willing to engage. For example, if I want to invite a friend to a casual dinner, I might just text them or send them a message on social media. But I wouldn't want to do that for inviting someone to a fundraising meeting. For that, it'd be better to send a personalized letter through the mail. The key to a successful invitation is tailoring it to the individual and event you're hosting. Make the invitation meaningful and personal, and you're far more likely to get a response. Another reason I think invitations should be intentionally tailored relates a bit to that fear piece we talked about earlier, that fear of the stranger. If we aren't used to engaging or dialoguing with those in our community, we may be skeptical or dismissive of invitations to conversations. Here we're gonna take a few minutes to hear from Peter himself about the importance of inviting others, especially strangers, into community building, into conversation, and into the creation of a new future. This clip is from a webinar hosted by Weaving Influence back in July of 2018, featuring Peter shortly after the release of the second edition of his book, Community, The Structure of Belonging. We apologize that the sound quality may not be the best. If needed, you may need to turn up your vol volume to hear Peter a little better. Let's take a listen. And so the protocol for a small group community, small group, Transformation is be with people you know the least. Sit less than nine inches away, and if you're from a culture where that's too close, then sit nine and a half inches. Because without that engagement, community and real change can't happen. It can't happen. And it's too much suffering. And then another protocol that's even more radical is don't be helpful to each other. If the book's anything, it's to cry out against help against charity, against philanthropy, against the idea that I know and you don't. In addition to Peter's point about sitting with strangers when collaborating, I think it's such an interesting concept that you don't want to be helpful. Just like he said, helping someone is saying that you know better than they do. Instead, we should be listening to others with curiosity and understanding. We'll come back to this thought later in the podcast when we talk about the conversation called dissent. The next conversation we'll talk about is possibility. Possibility is not problem solving. Peter explains the difference between possibility and problem solving by comparing the past and the future. Problem solving tries to make improvements on the past and stifles our imagination and creativity. It shifts our focus away from what is possible and can be a dangerous and slippery slope into what's the problem, who created it, and who's to blame. Possibility leans into the future. 
It means it imagines what could be. It's what we have not yet created. It declares what we have the possibility to create together. Okay, so to be completely honest, this one was pretty difficult for me to understand. I'm the type of person that just wants to fix things, so I come up with all of these ideas to solve a problem, and I get, get excited about it. But now I'm being told not to do that. Can you help me out a little here? <laughs> sure. I agree. This was a hard concept for me to grasp. However, I don't think that Peter is suggesting that we can't use our past experiences and knowledge and insight that we gain from those experiences in our conversations. I think the point is, is that we, we don't sit down with a to-do or a to-fix list or center our conversations around a problem, how, to, how it got to be a problem, and fall into a complaint session. I think this is our call to dream big and imagine the world that we want to create. Kind of like, this is what we want to create. Here it is. Now let's move backwards and talk about how we can get there together. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes way more sense. I think it's still definitely a challenging thing to do, but I do see the benefit of not having meetings set strictly to problem solve since those can so easily turn into complaining or getting angry. Thanks for clarifying that. Let's move on to the third conversation, ownership. Ownership is all about being honest with yourself and your community and what you're working for. You must ask yourself point blank, am I part of the problem? Have I added fuel to this fire? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Either way, ownership is about asking yourself and other citizens what you're creating in the world. Do your actions match your vision? The famous quote, be the change you want to see in the world is applicable here. It's easy to get into a cycle of blame, but it's important to note that the difference between ownership and blame is acknowledging our guilt and taking action to do something about it. This ownership piece also hits heavily on accountability and choice. People have to decide for themselves if they want to be part of a different future. This absolutely has to be an individual's decision and not a coerced one. Next, we move into dissent. Dissent is disagreement among people at the table, and we want it there. It allows people to say no and voice their doubts and reservations without having to justify them or move on to problem solving. When dissent happens, and it will happen, just listen. Don't solve it, defend against it, or explain anything. Learn to listen to others and accept their opinion. Get interested in their opinion. Dissent is a great opportunity to welcome diversity to the table and learn more about the passions, values, and beliefs of others. This is another one that's a little challenging for me. If someone isn't on board with the program, it's my instinct to give them more education and information about why the issue is important. This kind of feeds into my fixer personality. I just want everyone on the same page and in agreement. But you know, sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. One hard lesson I've learned related to dissent is that you have to learn how to communicate your passion. Not everyone is going to be passionate about the same things you are, and that's okay. You have to accept it, listen to their reasoning why, and learn what their passions are. Perhaps they would be better utilized in a different area. Or perhaps there's been a miscommunication that's causing a lot of tension and dissent. But by listening to the other person, we can better begin to understand each other. There's a great, a great quote in the book that touches on the uncomfortableness of dissent, especially in America. Peter says, dissent is considered disloyalty or negativ negativism or not being a team player or not being a good citizen. 
American, love it or leave it. You are either with us or against us. This is a corruption of hospitality and friendship. Hospitality is the welcoming of strangers, but also the strange ideas and beliefs that they bring with them. As he notes here and again in the webinar, Peter underscores the importance of sitting with, engaging with, and listening to strangers as we seek to build community. And this is something that we may have to get used to. It takes practice, it takes patience, and it takes passion to working toward a common goal. We sit back and we ask, why? We ask, can you expand on why you feel that way or what brought you to that decision? We might be surprised by their answers. Now we move into commitment. These are the promises made to others with no expectation of anything in return. And this is about action, not just lip service. The most important commitments are the ones that we make to peers and other citizens. It's okay to say that you can't promise anything at this time. This does not cost you your seat at the table, but not honoring your commitments does. In basic terms, don't make promises you can't keep. And the important part here is that you don't have to promise or commit to doing anything at any given time. Your presence or your seat at the table and in the conversation is enough. However, if you do commit to doing something, it's critical that you follow through. Yeah, this one's pretty black and white for me. Commit or don't, it's your choice. I think Yoda said it best, do or do not, there is no try. The next and final conversation is all about gifts. In community building, Peter says, rather than focusing on our deficiencies and weaknesses, which will most likely not go away, we gain more leverage when we focus on the gifts we bring and seek ways to capitalize on them. As was mentioned earlier, we need to move away from seeing our community as a list of problems to be solved or fixed. We are not defined by our deficiencies or what is missing. We are defined by our gifts and what is present, and we want to bring the gifts of those, especially on the margin, into the center of our conversations. I love this one. There's a great quote from Peter that says, Remember, I am what I am able to do. I am not what I am not able to do. To me, this means that we need to start looking at people and what they can offer and contribute instead of what they don't have. To me, gifts and person-first language go hand in hand. For example, labeling someone as their disability, like calling someone in a wheelchair handicapped, or calling a person with autism autistic, diminishes who they are. We all have different challenges in life. Some are just more visible than others. It doesn't define who we are as people. We are all so much more than our limitations. We all have different gifts, different potential, different things to offer. Once we start focusing on what gifts people bring to the table, we can really change the conversation. And this also ties in nicely to the invitation and the need to invite people that are not used to being together. In this space, we can identify and uncover what each citizen can offer and what each of us can bring to the table. Altogether, these six conversations give us the tools to change the conversation, one that fosters connectedness, belonging, and the possibility of a new and different future. As I've reflected on Peter's book and his six conversations, I've had the same phrase rolling around in my mind. Even if I can't remember all the details of the six conversations, the deepest message that I've taken with me is that we are each other's business. 
It is up to us to work together, create together, and converse together. If we can't figure this out, we'll never see change. I agree, Kylie. We have to learn how to start working together to build up our communities and end this cycle of disengagement and disconnectedness. Our world needs this now more than ever. We see evidence of this need in the news every day as school shootings, homicide, natural disasters, and political divisiveness. Once we make a genuine effort to connect with others, learn to listen before we act, seek to understand before passing judgment, and celebrate our differences by recognizing gifts, we can begin to repair our communities and by extension, our world. So we've broken down and dissected the six conversations. Now it's time to put it into action. We challenge you to consider how you can incorporate these important concepts into practice as you build community in your neighborhood, on campus, in your city, state, or country. So let's recap. The six steps to changing conversations are, one, invitation. Create a small meeting to address a community need. Invite a range of people from your neighborhood to participate and be inclusive of all. Two, possibility. Toss the to-do list. Ask, what can we create together? Dream big. Imagine what we've never done before. Three, ownership. Be honest about your intentions and practice what you preach. Four, dissent. Accept and welcome disagreement. Seek to understand and listen, not persuade or convince. Five, commitment. Say what you mean and mean what you say. If you commit to something, always follow through. And remember, it's okay to not commit at all. Six, gifts. Recognize everyone has a gift. Maybe ask everyone to share what they think is their gift. We challenge you to change the conversations in your life and let us know how it goes. Comment on our Facebook post or find us on Twitter at SBS underscore FSPH. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast, Community Solutions, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.